0: Hello, hello, there I am. Hey, we got it. Garrett set me up beforehand, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, good morning again. Uh, I'm I'm grateful to step into the pulpit today uh, to serve as PD as a, as a way on vacation. This year was crazy. It's crazy for us all, wasn't it? Um, and uh, to be able to, to come and fill the pulpit while he's on vacation is a, is a delight to me. Um, I think it was either yesterday or today. This is uh, my officially two years we've been here at JABC. and uh, it's, it's really awesome. Uh, and uh, to, to work with, uh, under, and, and with Pastor Dan has been a, has been a delight, even though, uh, you know, he uh, puts bugs in my office and gives me a hard time and pranks my, me uh, constantly, you know. Yeah, it's true. Um, but uh, no, it, he's a guy. You know, on um, you know Monday morning, a lot of pastors kind of just take off and they're just kind of gone. Um, but he's he's up. He's uh, he's here early. Um, he's he's writing to you. He's calling you. He's uh, praying for you. Um, a lot of ministry takes place behind closed doors. And uh, I've learned a lot from him. And so I'm I'm thankful he and his family could get away. I'm praying that they'd have a really great time away, a refreshing time, and I would encourage you to pray the same thing. And uh, again, as Nate said, if you guys need anything at all these next couple weeks, um, you know, uh, please contact me or or one of the other elders. I'm also grateful to step into the pulpit today because I love sharing God's Word. Um, and I've had the benefit of, of struggling and wrestling with this passage that I chose. Um, and uh, if I didn't have this opportunity to preach this message to you, I think I would just explode. Um, because I, just, I have so much uh, that I want uh, to share. I need to get it out. Uh, I'm so I'm thankful to have the opportunity to do, uh, to do that this morning. So before we uh, dig in, let's, let's pray. Lord, we praise you for the riches of your word, that no matter how much we dig, we can learn more about you. And You're a great God, great in your love. Just as we sang, you are our anchor, you're sure and steady. There's no one like you, no one greater that we can place our confidence and trust in. You are all that we need, and I pray, Lord, that your word this morning would permeate our hearts and lives, that it would cause us to worship you in our everyday life. Uh, Help us, Lord, to not just be able to say we're Christians, but help us to know what it means to live in a manner worthy of the calling for which we've been called. Make us more like you, Lord, we pray. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Please turn over to our text this morning, Psalm 117. That's where we're going to be, Psalm 117. Uh, Psalm 117 is uh, actually the middle chapter of your Bibles, um, there are precisely 594 chapters before Psalm 117 and 594 chapters after Psalm 119. Um, so, uh, but I don't say that so that you like, don't, don't like count those during the sermon or anything. Uh, that's just a fun fact. Just take my word for that. Look it up later. Um, but uh, it's the middle chapter of our Bibles, and uh, let's, let's read our, our text together. Psalm 117 it says, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, It's the smallest psalm in the Psalter, smallest chapter in the Bible, but it has a huge message for us today. You know, I I spend a lot of time, understandably so, here at church. I do. I'm here in the office uh, from Monday to Thursday during office hours. I'm here for uh, Impact and other, uh, most other special events at the church. Um, I run into many of you as you guys stop in uh, at the church, which is awesome. I know how to lock down the church. I know how to open it back up again. Uh, my, my, my family could call this church my second ho- our second home. You know, We just have to find some way to install some showers and a few beds, and we can make it happen. You know, while PD's gone, I do intend to make his office into my own little coffee bar. Um, let's just, we won't, we, we just don't need to air that part. Cut that out, Darryl, Uh that, that bit. But there is a great danger of being here so frequently, right? Being in this bubble all the time. Um, I can so easily forget where I am, Right? Uh, for instance, like, it, it can take me off guard sometimes when I go to the barber shop and I hear someone use vul, vulgar language, or um, it can take me off guard when I go to the, the grocery store, make a run, and I see someone dressed inappropriately, or when I just pull out a, a what is it, 37 here, after two years I should know, um, and you see road rage, right, followed by uh, horns honking and screaming, etc. like we live in Los Angeles or something, uh, but we see it. You know, you don't have to go far to, to know that not everyone loves Jesus, right? Um, we live in a broken world. We live in a sinful world. And many of you have jobs where you're reminded of this every day. You might even be saying, you know, Pastor Andy, try every hour or every moment. And I get that. But can you imagine, can you imagine what it will be like someday to be with Christ? To, to be with his people, to be in his kingdom forever? To be absent from our sinful bodies, to be absent from this sinful world, and to be absent from Satan himself. Rev twenty one verse four, Revelation twenty-one, verse four, it has this to say about our future experience in heaven, that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall no more, uh, be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No more tears. What are tears a result of? Sin, the fall, right? No more death. What's death a result of? The fall. No more pain. We get a hallelujah for that, right? What is pain a result of? The fall, right? Consequences of sin. And these consequences will pass away. The struggles of living in a broken world are temporary, John says, And he goes on further uh, to describe the heavens, the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation 21 uh, when he says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Did you guys hear that? Hear how heaven is described there? That God's glory will be our light for the nations, for every tribe and people and tongue that have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God's glory will light our way. There won't ever be a need to lock our doors or have the gates of this city um, un- or locked because, why? Because there will be no one unclean or detestable or, or false in the city. The only people that will dwell in this kingdom are those who have been saved and perfected by the Son of God. I want us to think about that this morning, to, to be able to worship God with Him, to be able to worship Christ with Him forever. Is that something that you anticipate When's the last time you desired that, church? I-, I am so thankful, so grateful for our church to have our doors open in, in these days, in these times, um, for us to meet together. I love this church. Um, after, even after two years, I love this church. But I, I am so uh, longing for the day of where we sh- we're spending uh, time, eternity, with the church universal, praising and worshiping Christ together, that wherever we go and whatever we do, we'll be reminded of God's glorious person and, and work. I believe that Psalm 117 in the psalmist of 117 has the same anticipation, so much so that he calls all peoples on earth to worship the Lord. Psalm 117, it's a special psalm, uh, not just because of its location and how small it is, but because it's a, it's a part of a cluster of psalms. It, it's a part of the, the Egyptian psalms of Hillel, right? Anybody heard of that before? I didn't before I studied this. But if you, if you ever um, had a hymnal, have you ever looked at a hymnal? And our hymnals are split up into different categories and sections. You can find over here, you know, the Christmas hymns. And then if you go over here, you can find, you know, Easter hymns, right? Well, the same is true of, of, of the psalms. Uh, Psalm 113 to 118 are the Egyptian psalms of Hillel. Hillel is where we get the English word, hallelujah. Uh, And and they would sing these songs every year at the Passover meal. And these songs were meant to remember what? The, The redemption that God showed to Israel, right? That they were under the Egyptian slavery and God led them out, right? These psalms were meant to focus on God's love, His goodness, and His faithfulness towards His people, whom He saved after, you know, 400 plus years of being in Egypt. And remembering is important. Is remembering important? Remembering is important. Why? Because we're so prone to forget, aren't we? So prone to forget. If you look just at the gener- uh, generation, uh, the wilderness generation, Right? In the book of Exodus, after God parts the Red Sea miraculously and they escape the Egyptians, they sing this song of thankfulness in Exodus 15. But what happens in the wilderness three days, just three days later? We don't see them singing anymore. What do we see them doing? Complaining, grumbling, whining. It's the same chapter. It's just the same way as, you know, we can sing and rejoice together as a church, right? And then we get hungry, and we get tired, and we get in the car, and uh, we, we have a terrible attitude, right? And we, it's almost like we've forgotten everything that we just did here at church. You ever been there? When we forget what God has done, when we forget who God is, we become a God unto ourselves. And our worship then becomes idolatrous, because who are we worshiping then? Ourselves. And Psalm 117 is a great reminder to our flesh of who is deserving of all worship and all praise. It's a perfect answer to these questions. Who should worship God and why should I worship God? Uh, I don't know who the writer of this psalm is. A lot of people like to take a guess. Um, and I, th- I believe that it's left anonymous on purpose so that we wouldn't get distracted where, w- with where the, the true worship belongs, which is obviously in this psalm on God. And the outline, I'm just going to give you the outline before we get going here. The outline for Psalm 117 is simple because it's a small psalm. It begins and ends with the word Hillel, uh, and then there's a call to worship in verse 1, and there's causes for worship in verse 2. So let's dig into our text. Let's look at verse 1 together. Praise. Let's just stop right there, okay? First word. Uh, I promise we'll get done before lunch. Uh, Now, Martin Luther wrote 36 pages on these two verses um, but thankfully, I didn't read any of those in preparation for this. So, again, we should get done uh, before lunch. But that first word, praise, okay, it's that word, hallel, hallelujah, a word that literally means to brag or to boast about something or someone. And just think about how prideful we are as a people. And think about how utterly ridiculous it is for us to be proud about things like our social standing and all the money that we have or our high position or popularity, etc., right? We only have breath in our lungs because because God has given us life and knitted us together in our mother's womb, right? God is the creator of all things, and therefore he is worthy of all praise, God is worthy of praise from, from every atom and every molecule uh, on the planet. Jeremiah says this about boasting in Jeremiah nine twenty three to 24. He says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Your wisdom is God-given. Your strength is God-given. Your riches are God-given. God establishes all those things. Jeremiah is saying, above all, what trumps everything is what is, is that There's nothing greater than having a personal relationship with the creator God of the universe. We're created to do just one thing, and that is to do what? To worship him. And to worship God, just a simple definition of that this morning, is to treasure him above all else, including ourselves, right? To worship him, to treasure him above all else, including yourself. Have you ever wondered why God chose Israel? Or why he chose Moses, a man who had zero confidence in his speaking ability, or why he would pick a, a small nation that would constantly fall and stumble, a nation that would constantly disobey God. Why would he do that? You know, I'm pretty sure that without God, I don't know if Israel would, would, would make it to the 21st century, but why, why would God choose Israel? I, I think the answer is the same reason why he would choose any of us. Paul sorts this out for us in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31, when he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one, or excuse me, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Now all that being said, right, we should humble ourselves, humble ourselves and see our great need for God boasting in his salvation because we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't have salvation if it weren't for him. To so that, we should be saying, you know, hallelujah, that God would save any of us, right? The psalmist is calling for the nations and the peoples, the peoples outside of God's chosen people, Israel, to boast in the Lord. And he sees that God is worthy of all praise, and his message extends to all people on the planet to sing hallelujah to the great I am. A small psalm. It's the smallest psalm, but it's a huge message. Let's look at verse one as a whole now. Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. You know, it's an absolute farce to believe that salvation is just for the Jew. Or to think that God just included the nations later in the New Testament, because He's just making this up as he goes. Or, Or to think that, you know, the nations being saved is just a New Testament idea. If we look back to the promise of God uh, that that God made to Abraham, we can see that the nations, the Gentiles, were clearly included. God says to Abraham uh, in Genesis 12, 3, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? Jesus would eventually come through that family line, wouldn't he? If we consider Matthew chapter 1, that genealogy, and it's through Jesus that the entire world would be blessed. Or if we go to the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul in in Romans 15, 11 quotes Psalm 117, verse 1. Why does he do that? To establish that this was the plan all along. It reminds me of the, the greatest verses that we know today. We have it memorized, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, not the globe, right, but the world, Jew and Gentile, There's a pastor I I listened to out in um, Los Angeles, his name is Adam Tyson, and uh, he did something really neat with John 3.16, and and I wanna share this with you. I heard this a couple years ago, how he works through John 3.16, but he takes it apart piece by piece like this. For God, the greatest lover, so loved, the greatest degree, the world, the greatest company, "...that He gave the greatest action, His only begotten Son, the greatest gift, that everyone the greatest opportunity, who believes the greatest simplicity, in Him the greatest attraction, should not perish the greatest assurance, but the greatest difference, have the greatest promise." Eternal life, the greatest blessing. God so loved the world. And God's immutable, isn't he? He's unchanging. He's loved the world and he's always planned to save the world. And this uh, intention was not just a, a New Testament intention. Israel should have been a light to the nations. They were to live holy lives Set apart lives to live morally upright amongst nations that were wicked and pagan and lawless. problem with Israel is they oftentimes lived like the nations around them. Instead of worshiping the one true God, they worshipped other gods. Instead of worshipping the God who created human hands, they worshipped lowercase g gods uh, that were made by human hands right they are seen oftentimes in scripture bowing down to other gods however christ when he came he was the ultimate jew right he was 100% obedient to the law and claimed to be and is the light of the world john 8:12 The psalmist calls all peoples to leave their idols and false gods and instead worship the eternal Lord and to extol him, is the word here in Psalm 117, to extol him, to worship the Lord more more highly than anything else. That's what that word means. This again should be our desire as a church. Do we desire that? To see many worship the Lord. One theologian says this really well when they say that the mission of the church is worship, not primarily missions. Did you hear that? The mission of the church is is worship, not primarily missions. They say missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, right? Right? because he is ultimate. And so this is the psalmist's call for all peoples to praise and to extol the Lord. However, a call to praise is worthless. It's worthless without reason. I could tell you to praise. I could even get you to praise. But if there's no reason to praise, it's worthless, right? And that's something that so many people fail to realize today concerning worship. It's not music, synthesizers, Cue the fog machines and the light shows, right? That generates true, genuine worship. Without truth, that only generates manipulated feelings. It's theology that triggers true doxology. Or in other words, the truth about God should cause us to praise him. The truth about God, theology, should cause us to praise him, doxology, right? And I would say that the depth of your theology will determine the depth of your doxology. If you struggle with with your worship and it and it doesn't seem deep to you, I used to think that I used to go to a church and we'd observe people around everybody else around me just seemed to, I mean, they seemed to have it better than I did. And I was like, man, what's wrong with me? Must not be worshiping God the right way. Must have it the wrong, you know, way. If you want to praise God more sincerely, you need to know God more sincerely. And the psalmist doesn't just expect the world to worship. It's not just an empty call to praise, but he gives two theological reasons or causes for global worship. Let's look at those two causes for worship that the psalmist gives here in verse 2. It says, For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. These two causes are in plain sight in verse 2 and are used together in many texts throughout Scripture, which we'll cover in a bit. But let me just touch on uh, each of them just individually because, again, theology leads to doxology. So first, his steadfast love, the word has said. This is a loaded word. Um, it's a hard word to put your, your, your hands and your arms around. Uh, it means loyal love, grace, uh, a consistent love, a deep love, you know, in, in seminary, Hebrew is by far one of the toughest classes that I had. Um, struggled through it. You know, you're reading right to left. Um, it, it's, it's a, I had dreams uh, of, about reading right to left. Right to left. I'm saying that right, right? Yeah, right to left. And, uh, you know, part of that was, you know, my, my teacher, he was from Ohio. I don't know where in Ohio. Um, he was a farmer and a football coach, and he was intense, man. Um, he made full-grown men cry and weep and quit. Uh, all the time. Um, it, it, it seriously felt like at times, I was at Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, and the guys were just dropping, right? I had two friends in that class who disappeared after a couple exams, and I never saw them again. I I never did. Um, you know, Starbucks should have named a drink after me, because I was in there all the time, working on Hebrew. And uh, our Hebrew f- professor, he would start every class talking about his um, the importance of how, how, um, how important it is to be faithful as a pastor. Um, and he would terrify us a bit, and then he would give us a quiz or an exam. And one day he gave us a word study, which felt like, you know, a wonderful break, just like one word, a word study. And instead of trying to remember like a variety of Hebrew vocab words and grammatical rules, studying one word again, it just felt like it was a break. Uh, it was the, what the doctor ordered, you know. Uh, but but the word that we needed to study and report on was this word, said, And the word that we have in our, it's the exact word that we have in our text. And it's safe to say that I underestimated this word. Uh, and I wrote kind of just like a paragraph on this word uh, while all my fellow classmates wrote like over five pages on this word. And uh, I, I did not do well on that assignment. Uh, I, I got like a D on that assignment, I think. And I got scolded afterwards. Uh, my, my professor showed me no said," And today I have PTSD over that word. But, but when Paul talks about love, I think about it, even in the song that we sang, I think it was um, Give Me Jesus, you know, I think of Ephesians, I believe it's chapter 3, when he says that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge, that it's too wide, it's too long, it's too high and too deep. That we cannot, or that that we can know it, but we cannot fully grasp it or write it all down. And I thought about telling my Hebrew professor that, but I wisely just remained silent. So, um, but all this to say, this word is a loaded word, right? And God's love surpasses knowledge. It's even in our text, if you look at Psalm 117, it's described here as great, the Net Bible actually translates this, this in an interesting way. It, it, I think it translates it that God's steadfast love towers over us. Um, I think that's interesting because it, it, in connection with uh, Psalm 103, verse 11, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Have you ever, like, have you ever, uh taken a balloon and just like launched it and like let it let it go and then you look up at it and and you watch it just ascend what happens after a while it gets really really itty bitty and then it kind of just disappears right that's a that's a, that's a that's a neat picture of god's love right right we can see it uh, but we can we can you know god's love is infinite we can't fully wrap our minds around it It's pretty amazing to think that God would have anything to do with us, let alone have an infinite love for us. And I feel like, you know, as I studied this word again this week, I feel like the psalmist in Psalm 8, I believe it's David, who says, what is man, Lord, that you're mindful of him, right? So this is intended for the nations. Worship the Lord, extol him, the creator of the whole universe, who has a love for you that's unfathomable. No love could compare to this love. And that's a pretty solid reason to praise God, isn't it? Right? If I had a cool job and I had all the money in the world, and I was like Solomon and I had many wives and concubines and I had servants and I had a huge mansion and I had a huge property, but I but but God didn't love me, what would I have? Nothing. But if I had physically nothing, and I was a beggar here in J Town on the streets, and yet God showed his love to me, what What would I lack? Nothing. The love of the Father leads us to praise. It's a cause for worship. Psalm 63, verse 3 says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. God's love is better than life itself. Life's not worth living outside of God's love. Just think about it practically. When someone shows you love, your natural response is what? Gratitude, right? And depending on the level of love that's shown to you will move that gratitude bar higher or lower. What, what compares to the love that the Father has shown to us? Our worship of God should continually grow as we continually learn how great the Father's love is towards us. Because again, His love is infinite, infinite and it surpasses knowledge. And there's no other God, no other God, right, that matches this love. No other God who became like us, taking on flesh Living the life that we could never live a perfect life. And suffered and died in shame so that sinners, His offenders, could be saved. No one is like our God. Therefore, hallel, right? Hallelujah. Praise Him, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. First cause for worship, His steadfast love. Second cause for worship, His faithfulness or the fact that He is true. This is the word emet, and this, this might be a tough uh, concept for us today because, you know, the world is filled with unfaithfulness and, and falsities, right? Turn on the, the TV and we get lies, companies, lies, po- uh, politicians, lies, you even take good things, right? Like weddings, um, you know, but how many divorces are there today? They make commitment, they make a covenant together and, and we have so many divorces today or pastors, you know? You'd think that pastors are above reproach, but they become disqualified all the time. Falsities, lies all around us. Where could we go in this world for truth? Where could we go to find someone trustworthy in this world? Church, the Lord is the source of all truth, and He's eternally faithful. Here's a promise for you. Your closest relationships that you have in this life whether it's family or friends, they'll fail you. They'll lie to you. They'll even break promises that they have with you. But God will never do that. Never. He's immutable. He's unchanging. He's like an immovable rock. You ever try to move a boulder? No, because you. I mean, maybe some of us have, but, um, <laughs> but no, you can't move a, a rock. You can't move a big boulder like that. He's a sure and steady anchor that we can always cling to, right? And this is a great cause for us to worship today. Not only for assurance to know that God is the source of all truth, but it also builds our anticipation concerning all the promises of, of God that he's made to us, that they will come true. These attributes, or I like to use the word perfections, of, because he's perfect in all, all ways, these perfections of God, tr- the fact that he is true and, and full of grace, are seen together, they're linked, these these qualities, these characteristics that are linked in several places in Scripture. And for time's sake, I'll just cover two places. One, Exodus 34, 6-7. Exodus 34, 6-7. to seven. This is uh, a neat text because this is how God describes himself. This is God's self-description, right? And he's, and he's describing himself to Moses. And in verse 6, he says... God, from his own description, is both loving and just. He is gracious towards sinners, but he also upholds justice. Are these attributes, are these perfections, uh, are they able to coexist? Absolutely. And here's how. It's because God is forever true and just, right, that we must see our need for Jesus and our need for his grace. And also, as a church, to see our call to go and proclaim the gospel to all who have not heard, right? So this is how God describes himself, but this is also the description of who? Jesus. And John 1.14, remember that text? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and Truth. This leads me to my conclusion this morning. We've covered the first Hillel. We've looked at the call to worship in verse 1. We looked at the causes for worship in verse 2. Now let's look at that final uh, Hillel, this, this culmination of the entire psalm. Uh, this, this final Hillel, this final praise mentioned here in, in verse 2, it, it means the same thing, hallelujah. But let's think again of the context of this psalm. These hymns of Hillel were traditionally sung at the Passover meal. And Jesus took part of Passover. Uh, the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, both record for us that Jesus sang at these meals, or at this meal. And, 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 he, and he did it with the disciples at the last time. So, so picture this, Jesus had, had just taken his final earthly Passover, he makes that clear to his disciples that the next time they take together, it would be where? In the kingdom, right? And he, makes that, uh, he makes that clear, and, and Judas was in, is in the, was in the act of betraying, right, Jesus. Judas is out betraying Jesus, and yet Jesus is what? He's singing these hymns. Do, do you see the beauty in that? Do you see the culmination of this? Psalm 117 was one of those songs that that Jesus was singing that night. To to think that the Savior of the world sang Psalm 117 before he went to the cross. It's it's kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. You picture Christ singing that? This global worship desired by the psalmist would be made possible only through Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Through his sacrifice, you and I could have the light of the gospel shown in our hearts. We could have this truth of of God's surpassing love revealed to us. And to that, we should together say, hallelujah, what a Savior we have in Jesus. In closing, today's uh, July 4th, Americans are celebrating the freedom that we have as a people, that we are no no longer under British rule or reign, right? The Psalms of Hillel celebrated the fact that after 400 plus years of slavery, God freed Israel from Egypt. But what is the greatest freedom that mankind can have today? A freedom from what? A freedom from sin, right? And that can happen only through Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never repented, you've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a slave to sin. You are perishing in your sins. And one day, you will spend eternity separated from God. But know this, that God loves you and He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for sinners like you and me, so that if we put our trust in him as our Lord and Savior, we repent of our sins, we can have everlasting life in his, uh, because of his sacrifice, and we could worship him and extol him, not only now, but for all eternity. That's, a, that's an amazing truth. Smallest psalm, huge message. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this psalm this morning. I thank you for revealing to us that you are worthy of praise, that our boast should be in you because of your faithfulness and love. I pray, Lord, that this psalm would lead us to worship you with our lives, that we would treasure you above all else and that it would compel us to proclaim your truths to others so that even more peoples and nations would worship you. I pray, Lord, for the souls that came here for VBS a few weeks ago and and Teen Week, that they would continue to seek truth and that you would continue to use this church to proclaim your glorious gospel to a world that so desperately needs it. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.